What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Mastering Miles podcast. My name is Matt Ferlindis. I am a physical therapist that specializes in treating runners and running injuries in the greater Milwaukee area. In today's episode, we are chatting with Abby Alcott, who is a Milwaukee area registered dietitian and is a board certified specialist in sports dietetics, meaning that she really does specialize in the topics related to sports nutrition and helping individuals around these topics as well. She does have her own um, private practice in the area called Midwest Performance Nutrition, where she does work one-on-one with athletes to dial in their nutritional needs. I'm really glad to have a registered dietitian and someone who has premier expertise in the area of sports nutrition um, to really dive into the research and information related to nutrition, specifically for runners. And we're going to be diving into a lot of different topics today. One of the main ones is talking about what's known as the relative energy deficiency in sports or REDS, which is a condition involving low energy availability and how that affects runners and how that can contribute to different injuries. We also talk a lot about generalized information, generalized nutritional information that runners should really pay attention to to make sure that they're getting the right nutritional needs in their diet in order to help fuel running and their overall performance. One really important note of discretion with this episode is we do get into some topics that can be very sensitive for some individuals, especially that related of body image, body composition, some reproductive symptoms, disordered eating, and those types of topics. So we talk about it in the episode, but I highly recommend that if you are struggling with some of these topics, make sure to talk to the right individuals, whether that is a registered dietitian, your primary care physician, a therapist to hit on the mental health side of many of these topics. We talk about it in the episode, but it's so important to have a multidisciplinary approach with many of these topics. So I highly urge any anyone and everyone that has questions related to these types of topics or would like further treatment or evaluation, whatever it may be, definitely seek out those experts in those individuals' fields to make sure that you are performing at your best, but also making sure that we take care of long-term health for the future as well. We are very lucky to have someone with the expertise and knowledge that Abby does on many of these different topics. So I hope everyone is able to enjoy the episode and to really learn something about nutrition and about these really important topics from this episode. Well, welcome to the show, Abby. I am so excited to have you on as a specialist in nutrition and especially sports nutrition. And I first off just wanted to congratulate you on your recent board certification exam that you just took yesterday and passed. Thanks so much. I'm definitely relieved it's over, but it's awesome to add more to that alphabet soup after my name. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that is for sure. So Um, For all of the listeners, what is the official um, certification that you added yesterday? So I passed the exam to become a certified specialist in sports dietetics, which is 
the board certification from the Commission on Dietetic Registration that recognizes registered dietitians who are experts in sports nutrition. That is really, really cool. And um, congratulations on that. And I think that is the perfect credential, especially for this show when we're talking about nutrition specific to runners. And um, it's so nice that we have you as a resource in the Milwaukee area. And one of the big reasons I wanted to get you on is because there's so much like information that gets thrown out about nutrition in terms of runners, just in like pop culture and social media. And so it's really nice to have somebody who is well versed in the research and can really provide more of that like evidence based um, backing of opinion and evidence and support for all of these different things that we're going to kind of ch- talk about a little bit. So that's awesome. Yeah, definitely. And um, we were kind of chatting. The goal is to kind of split this up into two different parts or episodes. So today we're going to be talking more on like the generalized nutrition front and as well as a major disorder that we need to watch out for as runners. And then we're going to do an episode later um, with more like race specific nutrition and um, fueling and all of that kind of stuff. So We're going to start off right away then, and um, especially in the world of running, it's a very high energy, high caloric expenditure. So we obviously need to fuel that with proper nutrition and food. And there's these terms and this disorder, this wide ranging disorder called REDS that we need to watch out for, which is called the relative energy deficiency in sports. And it has to do with the topic of energy availability in sports. And especially this relates to what we know as low energy availability in sports. So would you be able to just start off and like give a definition for reds and for energy availability? Um, first off. Definitely. I actually have the, um, international Olympic committee consensus in front of me, so I can give you the scientific and the plain English summary. So to start, what low energy availability is, is, quote, any mismatch between dietary energy intake and energy expended in exercise that leaves the body's total energy needs unmet. That is, there is inadequate energy to support the functions required by the body to maintain optimal health and performance. So in plain English, that means when somebody is not taking in enough energy to meet both your daily needs so like your daily metabolism and just functioning as a human as well as the energy that you're outputting for exercise that's low energy availability you just don't have enough money in the bank to pay all your bills and then when it comes to reds this relative energy deficiency in sports the official definition is a syndrome of impaired physiological and or psychological functioning experienced by female and male athletes that is caused by exposure to problematic that is prolonged and or severe low energy availability. So basically, if you are not getting enough energy, you're in the state of low energy availability for a long time, it can start to cause a lot of problems with your physical and mental health and your performance. Awesome. I appreciate both that scientific definition as well as more of the plain English definition too to kind of better understand that. And when we talk about like, low energy availability or maybe energy availability in general, is it as simple as an equation of like energy in minus energy out? Or is it more that actually goes into it than that? 
So there's definitely more that goes into it than that, both from a mathematical and equation standpoint and just a more subjective standpoint. So first, when somebody measures um, how much energy you have available uh, overall, the official equation is energy intake minus the energy expenditure from exercise divided by someone's fat-free mass. So that means the the energy that you're getting in from food and drink, subtract the energy that you're burning through your running, your exercise, and then divided by the mass in your body that is not fat mass. So for example, um, you if somebody is eating 2000 calories, and they are burning 500 calories through running, which I'll say trigger warning for anybody with some of those numbers, I should have prefaced that. And then they have a weight of 50 kilograms, but some of that is going to be that fat-free mass. So they might have a body fat percentage of 20%. We could figure that out. And that's how you would use that equation. Therefore, it's not just calories in, calories out. You're taking into account someone's body composition, the specific amount of energy that they're taking in, the amount that they're using through exercise. So it's more than just that simple equation. And not everybody's body is going to use those calories, that energy that they take in in the same way. We're all unique humans with unique systems and metabolisms. So even I and another person of similar size, weight, training, you get the gist, um, could eat the exact same meal. And we're going to get different amounts of energy from it because our bodies are going to be different. So it's a lot more complex than just, you know, the energy in energy out equation. Yeah, I, I can definitely understand that. And it's important to note too, that it's, we're not just fueling for running, but our body still has to be able to function. And we need energy and calories to do all of those daily functions that we need just to survive. And um, one of the things that I've learned after reading that IOC consensus paper that you mentioned is, you know, when we have that low energy availability, it seems like the body's going to choose survival. We're not necessarily thriving because the body doesn't have a lot of energy. And so there's going to be impaired growth. There's going to be impaired reproduction, there's going to be impaired maintenance. And that plays a big role with a lot of the different health consequences that can result from this low energy availability. So could you go into more of like what some of the um, risks are in terms of like health and health dysfunctions that runners with this might experience overall? Yeah. So I'm going to flip to find the full picture the diagram that we have of, here we go. So for those who are unfamiliar with the term REDS, their visual model that we have of it is kind of this spoken wheel model with in the middle, it says low energy availability. So basically this not eating enough for a long time. And then there are arrows pointing out to every area of the body that we can see affected for health. And then there's another model that's kind of the same thing, but it's things that we might see that are Affect that can affect our performance. So some example things for um, that we might see are um, that impaired reproductive function. So in females, we might see that show up as irregular or missing periods. In males, it could be low testosterone, impaired bone health. So it can lead to an increased risk of bone stress injuries and um, poor bone density. 
we might see issues with your GI system. So a lot of people who come to me with GI issues, like, you know, constipation, diarrhea, feeling like they can't tolerate a lot of different foods, sometimes that might be related to not fueling enough. So our gut is sluggish or not eating enough variety. So we don't have the enzymes, the um, support that we need to digest different foods. And especially kids or adolescent runners, we might see that impaired growth and development. So they might not be gaining weight, gaining height as they should, um, gaining muscle as they should. We might see um, issues with your blood work. So if you're somebody who has really chronic, you know, low iron or things like that, that can be related to low energy. Um, we might see issues with the cardiovascular system. So this is one of my um, soap boxes, just because you have a low heart rate, that does not necessarily mean that you are super fit and in great shape, that um, athletic heart could actually be a starved heart. Because one of the ways that our body, if it's not getting enough fuel, conserves that fuel is to lower your heart rate. Um, other ways it could show up is poor sleep, um, poor mental health, um, urinary incontinence, especially in females. There's just a whole lot of issues that can happen in our body if we're not getting that fuel that we need. Yeah, and that's a really important distinction is this affects so many vital functions of our body. And so it's really something that we need to take serious, both as runners, as um, health professionals and things like that, too, to watch out for some of these signs and symptoms. And that's something that I didn't really know about was endurance athletes are always trying to say, yeah, my resting heart rate's in the mid 40s. And we almost use it as like a boastful tool. But some of those situations, it may not be a healthy factor at all. It may just be the fact, like you said, our heart is starving for energy. And that's not what we want as runners, as endurance athletes to perform at our very best. Most definitely. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I think another like really great spot that research has come really far with is as health practitioners, especially as physical therapists, we often learn about the classic female athlete triad. And um, that is the triad being the energy availability, bone health, as well as menstrual function or menstrual health. And I think the research has come a long way with generalizing all of this because it's so much more than just the female athlete triad. Yes, that's a part of it, but REDS encompasses so much more than just those three things. And it's also really important to note that this can affect men just as much as it affects um, females as well. Yeah, I mean, even just in a short time, you can Google like male runner reds and there's a couple articles of several different male athletes in runner's world who have come out with their experiences with reds showing that it's something that doesn't just affect a certain type of individual. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really important note that is really important for everyone to hear that this isn't just... Um, you know, one, one group of individuals, it really can affect any and every single runner, all of us have um, some risk for developing this. And so we need to really be careful and managing our energy availability overall. Yeah, that's really true. Is it all right if I get into some of those specific groups and misconceptions? Yeah, awesome. absolutely. Awesome. So um, with that, I mean, yes, you're right that the history was in the 80s. Um, Dr. Barbara Drinkwater was the one who 
came up with that concept, the female athlete triad, which was then in 2014 expanded into this definition of relative energy deficiency in sports. And there is kind of this idea, I think that's still very um, prevalent in sports that, oh, the people who are at risk for developing issues for not eating enough is the elite underweight female athletes or teen girls, like those are the people who are at risk and everybody else, we probably don't need to pay attention to them as much. So I want to like dispel those myths because as we can see, men also are at risk for not eating enough and they are also affected just as much, even though they might not have certain visual markers like a period to be able to notice that issue. And I also want to fight that myth that to be affected by REDS, you have to be underweight or at a low body fat percentage. Oftentimes, a lot of the athletes that I work with actually are um, in the quote, normal BMI. We can get into the problems with the BMI later, but I digress. Um, but and like they might not be in that underweight category. So they think that it's not a problem because it's like, well, I'm not underweight or I'm not losing weight. So what do you mean I'm not eating enough? Well, for some people, if they're not eating enough, they might notice weight loss, but for others, their body compensates because our bodies really want to take care of us and they're really smart. So before giving up some of those fuel reserves, they are actually going to try and make some of those compensations in a lot of people to keep us safe. So oftentimes when people might not think they're at risk because of weight, you still could be. And then lastly, you do not have to be an elite runner or an elite athlete to be at risk. Many recreational athletes can still be at risk because you're still putting in that mileage if you're just your average neighborhood mom or dad training in for a marathon or a half, you're still expending a lot of that energy. So you still need that fuel and you're still just as at risk as some of those more that what we think of as elite athletes. Those are really important um, distinctions there because it's it's so much more than what we um, kind of stereo stereotype it to be 100%. And so when we're talking about those things in the fact that, you know, it's not always that typical model of patient that gets these types of disorders. If we are in training and we're training for a big race, a lot of energy is being expended. What are some different like signs and symptoms that we can watch out for to know like, hey, I need to look into this or, hey, I'm starting to have this symptom. Do I need to watch out for this per se? Definitely. So first, I would say the health problems that you might notice. First, if you are somebody who's really injury prone and you notice that you can't help but get injury after injury, especially if they're stress fractures, it might be a sign that you're not fueling enough to be able to help your body properly recover from workouts. So whether you're a teen or a college athlete and you're the athletic trainer's best friend because you're in the office all the time, or you're an adult athlete who really relies on that PT support just because you keep getting injured, that could be a nutritional problem. If you're a female and you're noticing, you know, issues with your menstrual cycle, whether it's delayed or whether it's missing, especially if you lose your cycle, that's definitely a sign that you could not be feeling enough. And if you're a male, um, you could look for other signs like some people experience just low overall drive, um, lack of interest in things that could signal there's something going on hormonally. If you get a blood work panel back and certain things are off, like if you're chronically iron deficient and you really struggle to get that back up, 
if you're a teen or adolescent athlete and you're not growing as you should be, if you've got that low heart rate and maybe it doesn't quite um, check out with everything else going on, that could be something to look at. And then any GI issues. So if you're constipated a lot, that's a sign that I see pretty frequently with my REDS patients. Um, sleep disturbances. So if you go to sleep and you are tossing and turning all night, you're waking up hungry, you're waking up and you don't feel well rested, that can be a sign that you're not getting enough fuel. And then there's also the mental issues. So when your body is not getting enough fuel, you know, Snickers kind of had it right with their commercials. You know, you're not you when you're hungry, eat a Snickers. So you might notice, you know, some more irritability, some more depression, more anxiety, mood changes because you're not getting enough fuel. And you also might notice that thinking about food takes up a lot more space in your brain. Our bodies are very smart, like I said. So part of the way the brain is trying to get you to go towards more food is making you think about it. I have seen people, you know, endlessly scrolling food TikTok, food Instagram, watching Food Network all the time, reading cookbooks. If you like just cannot stop thinking about food, that could be a sign that you actually need more food to get in that energy. So there's a lot of different signs that you might be experiencing this, whether it's mental or physical. Those are those are great signs and symptoms to watch out for. And thank you for that. And that's one thing I've learned a lot with working with a lot of my mentors and educating myself more about this, um, because a lot of times the first time we realize this is when people have injuries, um, especially stress fractures. And we'll get into more of that in a little bit. But one of those big things is that reproductive function. And it's a little bit awkward sometimes because if you're coming to a physical therapist, you're not necessarily um, ready to get asked like about your menstrual cycles or in terms of males, I've learned, you know, not having regular morning erections and things like that. And it's really awkward sometimes to talk about that, but those are really key signs and symptoms that are just so important to watch out for. And having those signs and symptoms can be a sign that there's something more sinister going on that we really need to take care of and um, establish a multidisciplinary approach with. Yeah, and you're so right. And this is why I'm so glad we have more, you know, physical therapists, athletic trainers who are getting informed, because oftentimes, you guys might be on the front line seeing people come in for these injuries, which could also be accumulation of a long time suffering from REDS that it ends in this injury. So I'm so glad that the word is getting out and that there's more practitioners who are educating themselves. Yeah. Um, a few other more like specific questions on REDS. Um, carbs are always a hot topic when it comes to runners. Do yeah. carbs and our intake of carbs have any effect on reds or risk for reds or anything of that nature in terms of like getting the right amount of carbs, not getting enough carbs? Um, so the answer to that is yes, it definitely does. I, in fact, have a research article in front of me that's called Considerations of Low Carbohydrate Availability to Relative Energy Deficiency in Sport and Female Endurance Athletes. So what we found is that even if somebody is eating enough energy overall, but not eating enough carbs, that can still cause some of those symptoms of low energy availability. One that I can think of in particular is um, iron. So just a quick background. I know um, some runners might be aware of this already, but some might not. So iron is 
the mineral that helps to make hemoglobin, which is the protein in our blood that makes sure we can get oxygen to working muscles, which kind of need that <laughs> as endurance athletes. And iron is a very finicky mineral. It does not like to be absorbed from food. And there's actually a hormone in our body called hepcidin that kind of regulates iron absorption. And when hepcidin levels go up, it makes it harder for us to absorb iron. You know, what makes hepcidin levels go up is increased inflammation, which can be caused by not eating enough carbs and energy overall. And so they've especially found this with not eating enough carbs. So yeah, definitely there is an impact on not eating enough carbs, even if you're trying to eat enough overall. Gotcha. And I've also seen some studies, um, correct me if I'm wrong too, but where if we enter in even like very low amounts of low energy availability, where there's even like a slight caloric deficit, our bones actually go into resorption and our body starts to metabolize bone. Is that correct too? Yeah, you're correct that even small deficits, um, one of my mentors, Rebecca McConville, who's a fantastic sports and eating disorder dietitian, she would always emphasize to us a deficit even as little as 250 calories, which is really not all that much can cause those things that you're describing. Mm -hmm. And that is um, a good connection too, because one of my mentors is Nathan Carlson, who's a great PT down in Kansas City, who specializes in a lot of um, stress fractures and bone stress injuries. Um, and I know him and Rebecca often work very closely together on those types of things too. Yeah, they've made some great stuff together. Mm -hmm. um, so in terms of that, we've kind of alluded to this a little bit, um, but really one of the main injuries that we're very much at risk for with this low energy energy availability in reds is bone stress injuries and stress fractures. And that's honestly one of the more debilitating running injuries because there's a lot of running injuries that runners can typically, depending on circumstances, you know, continue to run through. But if we develop these bone stress injuries, that is completely laying off of running, allowing that bone to heal. And a lot of times there's more of a like I've mentioned before, a multidisciplinary approach where we might really have to dive into more medical treatment for maybe reproductive function or special work with somebody like you, a dietitian, to work on that energy component. So could you explain more of that tie between energy availability, RADS, and especially bone stress injuries for runners? Yeah. So it's basically like the same hormones that we need for optimal reproductive health are also involved in our bone health. So if you are in this state of low energy availability and reds, like some of those secondary functions that our body might quote turn off to conserve energy would be that production of those reproductive hormones. So with those being gone, then our bones aren't maintained as they should be. And that can lead to that low bone density. And this is especially important. I want to emphasize for like younger runners. So adolescents, early adults, that is the top time that your body is building up its bone density. So if you are running through that time and you're not eating, fueling enough, and maybe you notice, you know, you're missing your cycle, if you're female, um, or if you're male, some of those other problems we talked about at those times, then you're not only like causing that low bone density, you're missing out on building up those bones, which could put you at risk for more injuries if you decide to compete in college or if you're competing in races down the line as an adult. 
So these stress fractures are definitely highly related to nutrition and healing from them is also related to nutrition as well, because we have to go back and find what the root cause of that problem is. There are many practitioners I've spoken with who say, oh, you know, just give her, if she's a girl, put her on birth control, it'll cause her periods to come back and then we're fine. Well, we're not fine because birth control doesn't cause, quote, a true period and you're putting a Band-Aid on the problem. You're not fixing the true cause, which could very well be related to nutrition. And if you want to recover, besides taking that rest, it's going to take being able to figure out how to meet your body's energy needs, your protein needs, and getting in some of those minerals and vitamins that will help with bone health, like calcium, vitamin D, vitamin K. And a lot of those um, vitamins and minerals are found in foods that I've noticed tend to be very popular to cut out right now. So think especially dairy which I know being in Wisconsin, that's a little sacrilegious, you know, talking about cutting out dairy. But if we think about some of the things that we see in our overall culture, there's a lot of messaging against dairy right now. So some people might cut some of those foods out, not knowing they're taking away nutrients that are really important to help their bones if they don't add other sources in. Mm -hmm. That's really important to know. And uh, two points I want to make from that is number one, especially as a PT, you know, if I get a patient or client in that has some sort of bone stress injury, I think it's important where every time we're dealing with somebody of that nature of we need to take a special look at nutrition and all of these other things, because there's so much that can really relate to a bone stress injury, as we've talked about all these different factors. And if your body's breaking down some way in bone, chances are it is breaking down or deficient in another very important um, systemic area that we have. And um, number two with that is we have our bones for life. And as you've mentioned, when we're developing, we need to ha get those bones as strong as possible. And um, it, it's hard to think in terms of 50, 60 years down the road, but a lot of times, you know, many different um bone conditions like osteoporosis, um, osteopenia, things like that, where our bone is actually softening and fragile. I don't know if we have the research to back that just yet and the tie between these low energy availability, but we really need to think of a long-term point of view and long-term health point of view, because this can really, um, in the worst circumstances, haunt us for a very, very long time if we're dealing with some of these things. Yeah. Definitely. And I know, especially if you are on the younger end as a runner, it can be hard to think in the long term. Or if right now you really, really care about your performance, it can be hard to think in that longevity, both in life, but also your sport. So sometimes taking on that perspective can be really important. Mm -hmm. It's hard to take that long term approach, especially when we're focused on like performance and like the marathon I'm doing in two months or something of that nature. It's really hard to take that view. Yeah. Um, speaking of that view, um, body image and body composition are big factors in this for sure. Um, and I think it's a problem probably many runners have experienced before and endurance athletes have experienced before of just the overall body image, making sure we have proper body composition. And 
I'm very into triathlons and it's become very big news in triathlon currently. And I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but Sky Monch, who is a professional triathlete, she just finished seventh at the World Ironman World Championships in Kona this last year. Um, she actually recently came out and explained some of her own battles with um, body composition, body image. And about a year ago, she had a coach that constantly wanted her to lose three to four kilos, um, kilograms of weight in order to boost performance. And that had a very big impact on her. And she has since changed coaches and has not, you know, gotten those same pressures, but it's important to know. And she kind of mentioned like this year alone, we often think about like losing weight for performance, but this year alone, she didn't have that pressure and she was actually at a very healthy weight and not worrying about that as much. And she actually had her fastest, Ironman bike leg and fastest marathon off the bike. And so it's important to note that many professionals deal with this too. And even in this one very small anecdotal piece of evidence, um, Sky performed a lot better this year without having that body composition pressure to constantly lose more weight for the sake of performance. Yeah, I am so glad that you brought this up because it is a very real factor in why a lot of people fall into reds. Um, I want to note, I'll back up a bit and preface, some people might mix up reds with an eating disorder, disordered eating. So I want to say those are two like different things. You can fall into reds without having an eating disorder or disordered eating or body image issues. But oftentimes, a lot of athletes I work with, they do reduce their intake because they're trying to chase a certain weight or body composition. Um, I mean, I was in middle school when I first heard the term, you know, girls just run faster when they're lighter up top. So that messaging, especially if you've been in endurance sports for a long time, it starts young. And even though I do believe a lot more people are aware of it now, it's still very prevalent and very much out there. And it seems to be that every few months, there's a story coming out about certain coaching groups, certain college teams where their practices related to body composition and weight are just abhorrent and causing, you know, full-blown eating disorders and a lot of athletes to struggle. So things that I really want to emphasize there is first, scientifically, both males and females have a certain percentage of body fat that they need just to function. That is what we call essential body fat. So for men, this is somewhere, again, I'll preface this with a trigger warning for anybody, but men is somewhere around three to 5% body fat. And for females, that's at least 12% body fat. That is what you need just to be able to function. So if people always say, you know, less, 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 well, actually like your body needs that to function. So that's going to cause a whole lot of problems, not just with your performance. And we don't take into account people's genetic variability. I think of certain situations I've seen where coaches were like, well, this article said that the body fat percentage of these elite runners is X, Y, Z percent. Therefore, everybody on my team should aim to be that exact body fat percentage because that's what the elites are. Well, that is an average of elite people. That does not mean for every single person on your team, that is where they are going to be healthy and perform optimally. Like if somebody trying to hit that body fat percentage can't maintain a regular menstrual cycle, for example, then that's not a healthy body fat percentage for them. And then lastly, having this ultimate pursuit of weight loss, body fat, that takes away from so much of what we can do to boost our performance. 
many people think, oh, that's what I need to do. But then they're skipping breakfast. They're not eating enough carbohydrate and protein. They're barely eating any kind of like vegetables. So they're deficient in fiber, minerals. There's so many other things that we can work on with nutrition and our performance in general, besides chasing this arbitrary number. That's a, that's a really good reminder. And, um, two important questions that I want to ask is number one, if people are listening to this and there might be relating to some of these symptoms or they are noticing these symptoms, like who would you recommend that they reach out to, to better get assessed for these types of conditions and make sure that they can, um, catch this sooner rather than later before it causes more of these like systemic, um, disorders and things of that nature? Yeah, that's a really good question. I would say if you are seeing yourself in some of these symptoms, you think that you might be suffering from REDS, I would encourage you to, um, meet with your physician to get any meetings to get medical monitoring, get some blood work done, um, search for a dietitian, a nutrition professional who is informed um, of REDS and sports nutrition so that they can do a thorough evaluation of your current nutrition and help guide you um, on what's appropriate for your current training. And if you're noticing a lot of the mental health aspects, so if you're noticing that um, it's affecting your relationship with food, your body. I highly recommend seeking out um, a mental health professional so that you're able to work through some of those things. And this could either be you or if you're a parent of, you know, a young athlete and you're noticing some of these things in your young runner and your young athlete. Um, if you go to the doctor and you notice that they've, quote, fallen off their growth curve because they haven't been able to keep up. Um, I would encourage you to get your child hooked up with all of the right professionals, too. Because especially like, especially in younger athletes who could be very vulnerable, say this is REDS, but it also could be turning into a more full-blown eating disorder, early intervention is really key. So make sure that you reach out to all those specific disciplines. And of course, get yourself a good PT who knows how to help with any injuries um, that might arise from some of these effects of REDS. That is a really good point. I'm glad you mentioned all of those professionals because it really is multidisciplinary. It's a team approach. It isn't just a doctor. It isn't just a PT. It isn't just a dietitian or a therapist, but it's all of those, um, those combined that really seek to provide that overall treatment because there are so many aspects of it that it affects that we need to really take that multidisciplinary or team approach with, with everyone to make sure that we can achieve as good of an outcome as possible with it. Yeah, very much so. Mm -hmm. And, um, this kind of gets into our next topic and it's kind of a nice little transition of going from speaking about reds, which is a very important, and I'm glad we were able to chat about it today because it's just so important to educate people on it and educate the severity and what to watch out for. But we've talked a lot about uh, like energy and making sure we're intaking enough energy. So it's a loaded question. It's a big question. It's kind of a hard question to answer, but like what does proper nutrition for endurance athletes and runners really look like? Like, is there a certain, is it just calories? Is it all of the macronutrients, carbs, proteins, fats? Like what is the appropriate intake and what does that really all, all look like that we should achieve for and strive for? Yeah. So it's definitely both overall energy caloric intake and the proportions of different macronutrients. So 
Um, it's going to be different for every single person since everyone's different size, different um, genetics, different training. But off the top of my head, I work with a lot of youth runners. And I know that if you're a very active team, girls are going to need at least 2,400 to 3,000 calories a day and boys maybe 3,000 to 4,000 plus. And then a lot of adults that I'm working with, it's definitely not uncommon to see similar numbers to that for both active men and women. And if you are training, you know, heavily for hours a day, say you're an ultra athlete, you're doing um, um, higher distance triathlon, you might end up seeing like, you know, upwards of those 3,000, 4,000 calories a day. And then when it comes to um, macronutrients, so that's our carbohydrates, our proteins, and our fat, those are all really important for training. But we especially emphasize carbohydrates because the type of exercise that you're doing um, relies a lot on our carb stores and our muscles for fuel. So eating enough carbohydrates is going to make sure that you have enough energy to train and put the most into your workouts and make sure that you're eating enough overall. And then getting the balance of those macronutrients based on your specific training and goals is key. Yeah, that's a really good point. And is there a certain way, is there like a really good way for runners to kind of assess this in themselves and, you know, make sure that we are getting enough, enough calories, enough macronutrients, like what are some good tools that we can use to like keep track of it for ourselves? And is it important to constantly keep track of it for ourselves? Or can we do like every now and again, keep track of it? Like what are the best practices around that? Yeah, this is definitely a really individualized approach because for some people tracking it all is not appropriate. And for others, they might be able to have a healthy relationship with the information. I tend to not recommend for most of my athletes to do frequent tracking because I tend to, you know, all the numbers, whether it's on an app, on your Garmin, on whatever can start to become overwhelming and can be a little obsessive and take away some of that freedom we have with eating. But it can be helpful sometimes to do, you know, one day, three days just to see where you're at and then evaluate. So if you're somebody who can be objective about what you're eating, you don't have concerns with disordered eating, that could be a way to kind of do a self-check and see how you're doing. But if you're somebody who really, truly should not be looking at any of those numbers, a tool that I commonly use are what's called performance plates, which were developed by the um, International Olympic Committee. And that's a way to determine, okay, if I'm doing a hard training day or a more moderate training day, this is kind of the proportion of different nutrients that I need to be putting on my plate without using numbers. And if you want some more specific recommendations, I definitely recommend talking to a dietitian to see what might be best for you. Mm -hmm. And that may be important too for individuals who maybe you're not experienced some of the serious symptoms that we talked about earlier with reds, but as you've talked about, and uh, you know, it's maybe it's your sleep that's been a bit disturbed, or maybe you feel like fatigued or, or tired. Those might be situations where it might be more beneficial to either do some tracking yourself and kind of see where you're at, or definitely chat with a dietitian and someone that specializes in, in sports nutrition like yourself to make sure that you are eating enough and it's, it's proper for your unique, um, physiology overall too. Yeah, definitely.
Um, one of the more fad things that is out there and like fad diets, especially in like the endurance realm is like low carbs, high fat. Um, and I think a lot of the research has kind of dispelled that as being good for performance, but there's still a lot of like information out there and a lot of individuals who like anecdotally really support it or really back it. There's, there's kind of that train low race high mentality in regards to carbohydrates. Is there any merit to that strategy? Is that something certain athletes should look at, um, overall, especially more on the ultra or long distance side of things? Yeah, that's a really good question. And you're right that a good majority of studies that we've seen really have not seen performance benefits from using this strategy. Physiologically, that's just because most of the races that we're doing rely so much on carbs for fuel, that if you think about it, it's like if you have a car that takes premium gas, like you're, you need to put the right kind of fuel in there so that it can become more efficient at using that fuel. Our bodies will get more efficient at taking in what we feed them. So sometimes when I hear some of these strategies that I've heard from, you know, other runners, like I've heard of some saying, oh, you know, the week before my big race, I go low fat. So then when I'm racing and I take in those carbs, my body's just going to be so energized by that fuel. Well, first, what we see in the research is it takes weeks in order for your body to become, quote, fat adapted. So you're not really doing anything by just doing that for one week. And why would we want to take away our body's efficiency to use the fuel that we know is going to propel it best in order to get the most out of our race? So that's another reason why I wouldn't recommend it. There, for some um, ultra marathon racers, um, I'm not as familiar with the scene, but I know there's the one lady who's really prominent, Courtney something, I think is her name. You probably Courtney know DeWalter. Courtney DeWalter. Yeah. Yeah. She released, a, I know she released a recent article about how she said she, quote, went lower carb, which when I took a look at the article, it didn't really seem like she went super low carb. She just did a bit higher percentage of her energy from fat intake. Because when you're running an ultra race, you might be using a bit more fat stores for energy. And that helped her to take in less volume of food during the race to help with GI issues. But she's still not like, you know, foregoing carbs or shying away from carbs. So, I mean, my approach really is to do a more balanced approach to nutrition with what I know works. And that's definitely making sure that my athletes are getting enough carbs. Mm -hmm. That's a really good, a good topic to know. And it, it's funny because uh, Courtney DeWalter is often quoted as nachos and pizza being her favorite food to eat um, in between training as well as during her ultra races. And that is that's carb city right there. So that's an important distinction that she is taking in a lot of those carbs, um, overall, um, too. So that's a really, um, important distinction. And if it's something that I think it's important too, if it's something that people are interested in learning more about, um, instead of making that switch on your own, um, I think it's important to chat with somebody like you, a dietitian who could better educate you and properly do it in a more safe and efficient manner, um, as well. Yeah, definitely. I think a lot of people don't realize how like messing with your nutrition is something that can really be impacted if you've got someone guiding you along instead of mm -hmm. trying to buy it with, I mean, especially I'd say don't touch those let's run nutrition forums with the 10 foot pole. There's a lot of sketchy advice out there.
Yeah, there's so much. And it's it's from people that aren't necessarily qualified for it. And it's just like anecdotal evidence. And we really need to dive into the research and really see what's like the research supports and what evidence supports. Um, but we've talked a lot about macronutrients in terms of carbs, proteins, fats. What about micronutrients? Are there any like micronutrients, vitamins, minerals that runners should especially be alerted to and make sure that we're getting enough of those micronutrients? Yeah, so some of them I've already mentioned in this talk. So definitely iron because we need that for our oxygen transport. So irons can sometimes be hard to get into the diet for several reasons. So I recommend, you know, trying to get in a lot of, you know, red meat, dark meat, um, whole grains or fortified cereals, beans, peas, chickpeas, and other legumes, uh, spinach. Those can all be great foods to get in to get more iron. And to help absorb iron, you can pair it with foods with vitamin C, which is found in most colorful fruits and vegetables. So a really easy way to do that, for example, is like if you made a um, if you made a steak for dinner, have a side with like red bell peppers or another colorful fruit or vegetable to get that. Some other nutrients to be mindful of are calcium and vitamin D, which I kind of name because they're kind of friends. Um, they're both important for bone health. And so calcium is found in a lot of dairy products, uh, leafy greens, some fortified orange juice. And vitamin D, um, especially mentioning because we're in the upper Midwest, most of us just can't get enough vitamin D because of the latitude that we sit on on the planet. Because vitamin D is actually we can make the active form through being exposed to sunlight. We just sometimes don't get a whole lot of that in Wisconsin. So and it's also not found in a lot of foods. They fortify a lot of dairy products with it. But otherwise, it's found in like egg yolks and mushrooms and stuff. So stuff that maybe we're not eating on a daily basis. So I actually do tend to recommend a lot of vitamin D supplementation to my athletes. And then other vitamins and minerals to watch out for, um, especially if you're more plant-based, um, B vitamins, which are really important for our body to make energy. Um, they're found mostly in animal products. So if you're more plant-based, it can be helpful to make sure you're getting in some of those plant sources of B vitamins, they're found in a lot of whole grains, or you might need to look at supplementing for that. And generally, do you recommend trying to get as much of these as we can from our diet first before we start to supplement? Yeah, definitely. I'd say we dietitians really take a food first approach. So I think it's better to try and get as much variety in the different kinds of foods and food groups that you eat so that you can get in those different vitamins and minerals. Because supplementing, it can help you get your levels back up to normal. But if you don't fix what caused the problem first, which is oftentimes maybe a lack of eating that certain vitamin or mineral, you're not going to fix it. That doesn't yeah. mean that are bad. It means that fixing our food first can really help to set us up for success in the long run. It's a really good reminder. And especially on the vitamin D topic, you're right in Wisconsin. And it's, it's a funny anecdote, but I ran out of my vitamin D supplement, like maybe like two weeks ago. And I was like really diligent taking it all summer, which is funny because I was getting a lot of it from the sun already. And then it was like, oh shoot, I really need to pick that up. Especially now that we're in the winter time, we're not getting as much sunlight. It's important. Um, especially when we're living in these Northern, Northern climates for sure. Yeah, definitely. And um, kind of the last question for this episode of um, there's a lot of different individuals on like very specialized diets, whether it's like vegetarian, vegan, or there's even 
on the exact opposite of that. There's more stuff coming about out about like a carnivore's diet for individuals that are on some like specialized diets. Um, how can they be sure or like, what should they watch out for and how can they make sure that they're getting the appropriate nutrients and nutrition that they need in some of those more specialized, um, diets overall? Yeah, that's a good point because many of these diets involve cutting out certain foods. So I definitely refer to myself as an anti-diet dietitian. So if I think you really need to take a look at why you might be pursuing a certain diet, for example, let's say gluten-free, like there are definitely people who really need to be on a gluten-free diet. Like if you have celiac disease or another like really bad gluten intolerance, but a lot of people have heard kind of for example, gluten get demonized in the media saying that it's the cause for everything from acne to headaches to this and that. So they might think that they need to go on this diet to feel better and be healthier. But really, like, take a look at why you might be doing that and see if it's something you really need to do. And it can be good to look at it if there's any evidence for it. So I won't name names. Well, maybe I'll name a few carnivore diet might be one that I can easily throw out there that might not necessarily have the research to back up the claims that it's making, it might not be worth wasting your money on doing it. And on, and so say you do go on a diet like this, say it is for health reasons, you need to not have gluten, you're lactose intolerant, or if for ethical reasons, you really feel called to be a vegetarian, vegan, um, make sure that you do your research about which nutrients you could possibly be deficient in by cutting certain foods out of your diet. So let's take, um, let's take vegetarian, for example, say you're going to eat eggs and milk, but you're not going to eat any meat, poultry or fish products. Um, you want to make sure that you're getting some good um, plant protein sources and the milk and eggs in to get protein. There's certain minerals that might be a little tougher to get like iron and zinc, certain vitamins that might be a little tougher to get. Um, certain like types of fats that might be tougher to get like omega-3s. So make sure you take a look at what some of those nutrients are and see what foods that kind of fit within your dietary needs that you could use or if you need to look at supplementing. And especially if you do choose to go on a more um, restrictive eating plan like that. Um, so it would be great to talk with a dietitian to make sure that you can get the things that you need to meet your body's needs and also to talk through with someone some of your reasoning to make sure that you're going on this for the right reasons and that it's not a way that could be impacting your relationship with food. Yeah, those are all great points. And it makes more of a reason if somebody is doing those diets to work with a professional like yourself to make sure that all their bases are covered really and just make sure that they're doing it in as effective as a way as possible to make sure that there aren't any um, consequences or health disorders that can come about from simply maybe not fueling enough like we've talked about so much in this episode. So it's so important. Yeah, definitely. Awesome. Well, I truly, really and truly appreciate you coming on the show today, Abby. It is really great to have somebody as qualified as recently as yesterday, board certified as yourself coming on and really trying to deliver as much evidence-based information out there um, from somebody who really does this each and every day and is an expert in a lot of the research around it. So um, I really, truly appreciate that. And do you want to tell individuals where they can find you, where they can reach out if they're looking for um, any resources, if they're looking for your services as a dietitian, social media, all of that kind of information? 
Yeah. So you can find me on Instagram as at energy sports dietitian, where I post um, weight inclusive, non-diet sports, nutrition, information, and education. And then I also have a website for my private practice, um, www.midwestperformancenutrition.com. So I provide um, limited private practice services um, for individuals in um, Illinois and Wisconsin for sure, but depending on residency um, could be other states. So that's what I would say are the best places to find me. Awesome. And like I said, too, it's really refreshing to have somebody as educated, knowledgeable, um, as skilled as you are kind of in our immediate area in the Milwaukee area. It's nice to have those resources to use to make sure we are achieving our full potential because a lot of this relates to uh, performance and making sure that we can run our fastest and run our best and stay healthy overall. So um, thank you for that. And like I said, it's great to have you in the area to help out with those types of things overall for sure. Of course. And maybe I'll catch some of y'all at some local races. Yes, indeed, for sure. Well, um, awesome. Thank you again, Abby. And with that, happy and healthy training, everyone.